0: Welcome to the second edition of the Slow Home Podcast. In this podcast, Brooke, you spoke to Joel.
1: I did. Joel Zoslovsky of Value of Simple.
0: Thank you for pronouncing his last name. (laughs) (laughs) Um, What did you think?
1: It's a great... It was a really great conversation, agree.
0: Yeah, it was really... um, Joel can talk.
1: He can. He's a good talker.
0: He's a very, very good talker. Um, But i personally learned a lot from... The discussion Um, I think Joel, I can relate a lot to to Joel, not only as a male but the fact that he said that he didn't really have, in the interview shares that he didn't really struggle with the cluttering issue of minimalism but rather the um, you know, it was quite easy for him to do that but um, he really struggled with the kids' toys and I really related to that in so well
1: I think a lot of people will relate to a lot of what Joel has to say, actually. He's been on a really interesting journey, I think, from you know maybe five years ago when he first decided to start improving himself just to see the ways that he's changed his life. He's been able to quit his job and start to do work that he loves. And he's founded a uh, an event based on and um, centred around simple living and minimalism and the community aspect of that. He's just uh, done some really really interesting things and he's one of my favorite people to talk to who are you know in the simple living kind of circles uh he's just a really cool guy
0: yeah and look i i know you're a workaholic i can't imagine he he must be a very very busy man as well um what is it with you guys and work How, how do you
1: yeah i disagree i don't think we're workaholics at all I don't. You just
0: produce so much stuff. Though. Yeah, but
1: there's a difference between producing a lot of stuff and being a workaholic. I don't work for the sake of working. If I can, you know that I'm not going to be working. If I can be doing something else, I'll be sitting down reading a book or watching a movie or listening to music. I don't love work for the sake of work.
0: So work smart, not necessarily harder. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. Um, I know that you did mention at the start of the interview that um, – you know you're very busy uh, at the moment he said he wasn't which surprised me as well so
1: but i think that's part of the beauty of what he does he gets a lot done but he doesn't he doesn't love the idea of being busy he just likes getting things done I mean, he spoke at south by southwest recently and he's in the midst of putting together another event uh and he runs his own podcast and website um he does a lot but yeah like i was saying it's not a matter of being busy just so he can say, Oh yeah, man, I'm so busy. It's you know, I'm so important. I've got all these emails to reply to and all these calls to yeah. make. Like, that's not what it's about. It's about, you know, doing something of value, but then stepping away and being a dad and being a husband and Yeah, I don't I so yeah, I take I take issue with you saying that I'm a workaholic.
0: <laughs> I've got so much to learn. So much to learn.
1: So I hope you enjoy today's podcast. Um before we get into the interview with Joel if you want to access the show notes for today's episode, so that's where I will list links of things that we talk about and resources, blog posts, websites, that kind of thing. Uh, and also just a, a rundown of the the, the minor the major points that Joel and I kind of cover in our, in our conversation. You can head to slowyourhome.com forward slash two, just the number two, and you'll be able to find all those links. Uh, in in the show notes. And if if you want to find out some more about Joel himself, you can head to his website, valueofsimple.com, and you can get to his podcast and his blog and everything else from there. So without uh, any more chat, enjoy the podcast. How are you?
2: I'm excellent. Uh, How about you?
1: I'm really well. Although it wouldn't be morning for you, would it?
2: Well, no, I was saying <laughs> good morning for you because I know it's morning for you. If I, I normally don't speak to myself, at least not verbally, I would say good afternoon, Joel.
1: Well good afternoon, Joel.
2: Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so you're caffeinated, or at least you're starting to get that drip?
1: I am. I'm caffeinated. I've had my one coffee. I'm I'm good. Okay. Yeah. 6 a.m., bright and early.
2: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I don't know. Well, I do know how you do it. I choose not to do it, but uh, kudos to you for being able to get up so early and get things cranking so early.
1: Yeah, I think it's, it's the only sort of chance I, I, um, I get for uninterrupted time most days. So yeah. those first couple of hours are golden. So last time I spoke to you, Joel, you had a lot going on. Can you tell me how busy are you right now? What are you, what are you working on at the moment?
2: I was busy. Fortunately, as of today, now that we're talking, I am not busy anymore, which is much, much more in line with how I want to live my life. I, I don't really – well, I do know why. The first three months of 2015, I overscheduled myself in a very intentional way, whether it was updating my book, uh, traveling for a festival called South by Southwest and presenting there – doing some, um, some other work-related stuff, and also just with my family. There's been a lot of additional time that I've been with my wife, Melinda, and my two boys, Clark and Grant, really just throwing myself at all the things that I love throwing myself at. I've just been doing it a lot more those first three months of the year than I normally have. But things have since calmed down. The travel has receded. The regular slow flow of life has resumed, and I'm really excited about that.
1: That's good to hear because it's it's sort of the ultimate irony, isn't it? You know, when you work in and on simplicity, but life gets busy in your work to promote simplicity. <laughs> so trying to <laughs> trying to manage to strike that balance and find your middle ground can be really difficult. Um, what was South by Southwest like? It was
2: pretty groovy. It takes place so for those who aren't familiar. South by Southwest is a huge festival in Austin, Texas. It's an annual thing. It covers about two weeks. There's a film side, a music side. If you're a live music fan, you would love, love South by Southwest. I participated in something they call the interactive side, which is more what you would think of as a traditional conference, public speaking opportunities, uh, meetups, there's uh, workshops, that kind of thing. So it, it depends on who you are and what you're looking to get out of it. I was there for five days, staying with a friend of mine who lives just outside of the downtown area in Austin. And uh, just connecting with a lot of different folks, my, my experience was certainly atypical. A lot of people go there to expose themselves to new ideas and to sit and listen to talks or to watch a whole bunch of documentaries. I was there to do what I normally do in life, which is to connect with people in a meaningful way. Talk to community managers and Burning Man enthusiasts. I went to a great meetup with librarians. I love the way the librarians think. They're fascinating people. Uh, I just uh, just kind of put myself out there, showed up to groups of people who I thought would be pretty nifty and tried to create some new relationships. And also, for the first time, there's a lot of folks, Brooke, you know how this goes, a lot of people that you know online, but you've never actually met face to face before. Mm-hmm. So there are a couple of people who were in town or who lived in the Austin area that I got to finally sit down and have a meal with. And that was really cool, too.
1: That's very cool. Did, were you, did you speak at all or were you just there to, to connect with people?
2: I did. I spoke about this concept of curating your existence. Uh, my primary target audience, which was not the actual audience who was there, I found out later, <laughs> was marketers and content creators and content distributors. My main message to them was, look, this thing that we call curation, we can use it for a lot more than just content. And then I gave them a lot of examples about how do you curate your relationships? How do you curate your exercises that you potentially do? I only had 12 minutes to speak, but that's fine. Yeah, I'm, I'm much more interested in facilitating. When I'm the one who's talking, I like facilitating conversation, not necessarily directing it and having it be a one-way thing. As much as I like public speaking, it's getting kind of awkward for me too because I just have no interest in one-way talk without back and forth and without engagement. But it got me a free pass to go, and I wouldn't have been able to go without that free pass to the festival. So it's certainly worth it.
1: That's awesome. So, I mean, on that, um, you've written a book called Experience Curating. Um, Can you, for people who haven't read it, and I highly recommend they do, but could you tell me what you mean by experience curating?
2: Sure. There's kind of a double meaning. Uh, The first one is that, I feel everyone benefits, and we can get into the ways if you like, from the experience of curating. And when I'm talking about curating, I'm not necessarily talking about from what a museum does or what a library does or um, what an art exhibit does. I'm talking about that very intentional filter in which you go through life, what's meaningful, what's valuable, what's relevant long-term. And taking that mindset and applying it to all of your experiences Maybe that's the songs you listen to. It could be the recipes that you make. It could be the type of gardening that you do. All of these different things, you know, taking the essence, boiling it down, You know, the context of the moment, who you were with, what the smells were like, how that might benefit this group of people in the future to share this experience in terms of what medium. So experiencing the act of curating is a big part of it, too. Uh, And that's kind of where the double meaning is experience curating, how to curate your experiences, and then also uh, communicating to people and showing them the benefits of taking this very purposeful approach towards life and putting on your curator's hat so that you can use these experiences that you've had in the past to benefit future you and for the other communities and uh, families, friends, the other folks that you want to impact in a positive way.
1: So, so what does it look like? I mean, um, is it a matter of literally writing down or, you know, um, th- sort of gathering that information somewhere? Like, I know you're a spreadsheet guy. So is it, uh-huh. a, uh, <laughs> is it a, a matter of pulling that stuff into a, literally into a spreadsheet so you can keep it and refer back to it? That's how I do it. Yep. But the, the tool that you
2: use, your archive, so we'll just break it down real quick. There's, it's a six-step process. I talk about focus. F-A-O-C-A-S. It stands for Filter, Archive, Organize, Contextualize, Access, and Share. These are the linear steps in the curating process that I use and that a lot of other folks have used successfully to curate anything in their life. Um, So that first step is filtering, is realizing that what you're really trying to do is 99.9% of the time that you're conscious there's not necessarily anything great that's going on, but that 0.1% of the time where you, have, you hear something amazing from a podcast episode, for example, or a conversation that you have with a friend. Maybe there's um, a, a certain cloud formation that you see, and then you want to take a picture of it. So going through life, filtering for what's most meaningful to you. That's one. And then the archive, I use Excel spreadsheets because I'm a total Excel nerd. And I, <laughs> as you mentioned, I love, love, love spreadsheets. Other people, they might use Evernote. Some folks might pen and paper. They might use what's called a commonplace book. There's a really good article by Ryan Holiday on Thought Catalog where he explains why you want to keep a commonplace book and how to do a physical version of it. So having that place where you can store it, um, it's, not nece- it's not important what that is. It's just important that you do that you use something outside of your brain to archive this information because your brain is likely to misremember it or corrupt it or just outright forget it. And we could keep going down the line in terms of organizing about um, what I call experience elements, the who, what, when, where, why of, uh, of an experience that forms the narrative, that story of why it's meaningful, um, why it, it impacted you, why it resonated with you in such a huge way. All of these different things, you know, going through this process allows you to be a curator of all your experiences or any of them.
1: And um, you mentioned the benefits. So, I mean, for someone who's looking to simplify or slow down, um, maybe by removing complications or extra things on their to-do list, um, extra tasks, extra extra kind of responsibilities – How does this help them? Because I mean, I know some people would see it as just another thing to do, uh, like another responsibility another. like people think, oh, journaling, it's, it's a great idea, but I don't have time, but, but, but. So how does it help people who do want to simplify?
0: Yeah. Well, let's
2: use the example of blogs. Mm -hmm. You and I, we read blogs. A lot of other people who are listening, they're into blogs too. And if we had our wits about us and we had the time, we'd probably read a hundred different blogs about this topic and that topic and this niche. But, Taking that curator's mindset, and it it really does, one, the tool that I use, spreadsheets, are super simple. And spending more of my time in spreadsheets allows me to simplify my life. But independent of the tool, let's say you read 100 different blogs, and you've only curated, you've only put one article over the past year out of those 100 blog posts into your curated archives, meaning that it was exceptional in some way. Mm -hmm. Well, what about those 99 other blogs, which you're just reading out of obligation? but you're not exactly getting anything out of. So having this curated lens, if, if I'm reading someone's blog and they're not, say, my best friend uh, for two years and I've never curated something from it, I'm going to stop reading it because I realize, based on my archive, it's not meaningful to me. Um, I'm not being entertained, I'm not being educated, I'm not being inspired. So being able to see the trends over the months and the years going through your archives lets you see what's important to you And how that shifts over the course of time so that you can allocate your time presently and in the future towards those things that are really bringing you the most joy, the most fulfillment. Uh, So it's, it's a lens in which to see what was previously valuable and also reorient you towards more of those things and cutting away a lot of the stuff that you're just doing because you're on autopilot or um, you're just doing it out of obligation. So that, that applies to blog posts, it applies to relationships, it applies to the kind of food that you eat, just being able to really simplify and, and take away all of the things that, that you realize ah, that,
1: that wasn't all that great. I've got to say, I mean, I've always understood what you've meant by experience curating and I, like I got it in a theoretical sense. But listening to you talk now, I'm like, I really, I really get it. I really understand how, because I'm I'm kind of a sit your pants person. I'm I'm not so much. I like the idea of of journaling that sort of thing, but I don't always sit down to do it. But listening to you talk about it, it's just another way to extract meaningfulness from life and purpose, and you know what's important. So it's it's kind of like a, a life version of uh like decluttering and pairing back and getting to, down to the essentials, isn't it? It
2: is. Some people think of it as a to do like, oh, man, now I got to spend 15 minutes every week going into Evernote and and logging how I felt when I had that conversation with my best friend and what I'm going to do about it. But it's uh, it takes just a tiny amount of your time, just a small fraction. It's free, like you can do it with the tools that you have. And a lot of the the folks that I know that uh, have benefited from it, simplicity is one of the main things that they get from it. Uh, The ability to self-express and to easily share your experiences. Whenever I want to share a blog post, a podcast, a quote, um, a YouTube video, I can do that really easily because I have it all in my spreadsheets, categorized and subcategorized, who the target audience might be. These are all columns in my spreadsheet that I can sort and filter on, Mm -hmm. and it allows me to be a, a resource to the communities that I find valuable Whenever a podcaster comes along, for example, I've been podcasting for three years. They want the best resources. I can give it to them because I've archived them and I can even give it to them in the order in which they should review them, kind of layering on the context of here's step one, get a grasp of this, now do that, now do that, and soon you'll be podcasting. So it it really helps me be an asset to all these different communities that I want to serve.
1: Oh, you definitely are. I know you've helped me a lot. (laughs) Have you always been... Organized and methodical? Mm,
2: mm, I've always been analytical okay. in terms of very systems-oriented and process-oriented, but I wouldn't necessarily say that's that <laughs> translated into what we traditionally view as an organized, well-put-together person. It's only really been in the last five years or so that I've used some of my, shall we say, inherent uh, talents to uh, to benefit me and also to try to be an asset to the folks around me.
1: What happened? What what changed five years ago?
2: Well, a little something uh, I, my wife likes to call my personal renaissance, which I have since appropriated. I love that term. <laughs> i just give you the, the broad strokes here. I, t- I love telling this story, and I've got this story. If people want to get it themselves, they go to valueofsimple.com slash my-story, which is basically... Um, April 2010, my wife Melinda comes into our home office and she told me that she was pregnant with our first son, Grant. And I had, we were planning on getting pregnant. And I just, I was so, so, Brooke, I can't tell you. I was just so excited thinking, oh my goodness, I'm going to be a papa for the first time. (laughs) And then later that night, it was the polar opposite. It was a sense of dread. I was thinking to myself, oh my goodness, I'm going to be a papa for the first time. The implication was... I was uh, addicted to video games. I would routinely stay up until 3 o'clock in the morning playing uh, the one at the time that had its tentacles deep in me was called World of Warcraft. I was working 55 hours a week at a, a job that was just slowly crushing my soul purely for the money. And I was sugar-binging all the time, although I looked like a healthy person. you know, Inside, I was just a mess. My priorities were a mess. The way that I spent my time was not in, al- with, in alignment with what I felt like my values should be. Um, so I, I made a lot of radical changes that l- literally the next day that after Melinda told me that she was pregnant with Grant, I cut, I cut out video games. I haven't played video games in five years. That in itself gave me so much time back, mostly for sleep, but also for other things. And I started exploring uh, blogs and podcasts about minimalism and the paleo lifestyle and, and figuring out that there's an alternate way to think. And act and be and do. I was just in this bubble for the first 30 years of my life, and nobody thought to pop it for me. So Melinda, by announcing that she was going to be that she was pregnant, I realized I have eight months to become a good the per the kind of person who's going to be a good father. I know I'm not that person right now, so this is my opportunity to change. And this is when I started making all these um, radical changes that have led me to where I am right now.
1: So you cut out video games. That was the first step. The first step that you took and that's that's big I mean to from someone who's addicted to just going cold turkey no more games that's a that's a big change um so then I mean did you I know a lot of people tackle um simplifying their life by physically simplifying their home environment did you have to do a lot of that I mean the the typical kind of path to minimalism is to clear out the clutter is that something you had to deal with
2: no, no. Okay. no, I'm abnormal in that way, and in a lot of <laughs> other ways too, of course. But my journey of simplicity and slowing down has always been an inside-out kind of thing. The thing that needed the most simplifying, by far, my physical environment's always been pretty Spartan. You know, I've always liked spreadsheets and you know clean surfaces. Uh, But my brain has always just been a total mess. And I really, emotionally and mentally, I needed to get rid of toxic relationships. I needed to actually define what kind of value I could offer to the world uh, in a genuine way. Not in a, oh, I'm going to volunteer every month and that means I'm a good person. Uh, Mm -hmm. That wasn't good enough for me anymore. That wasn't going to cut it. So really I've used minimalism and I've used this prism of simple living to guide me on decision-making, who I spend my time with, what kind of food I eat, uh, that kind of thing. And it's never really been about my physical environment, although I I, I like like to have a, a clean, organized space just as much as everybody else. It's just that wasn't my starting point, and that's never really what I've chosen to focus on when it comes to a simpler, slower life.
1: Sure. Um, is that something that you and your wife share? Are Are you both kind of on the same page when it comes to your physical environment or is that something that you've found you need to kind of compromise on and find your middle ground?
2: I've compromised heavily on that. My wife, who I love for about 1,050 bazillion reasons, we do differ and on a number of things in terms of the number of toys, for example, that we have in our house. I have a four-and-a-half-year-old and a one-and-a-half-year-old. One we have a lot more toys than I would personally like. It's not excessive, but I don't feel like we need that much. Our, our kids do great, and they're healthy, and they're vibrant, uh, and when grandma and grandpa take them to the zoo and Grant comes back with a plastic dolphin, uh, I do Tried not to bring those kinds of things into the house, but there's certain things where I just kind of let it slide, uh, where I'm not necessarily introducing it. I'm just accepting of it because the the family harmony that we have, both as a husband-wife and also as a a set of four people, is more important than the number of things that I have in my house. Uh, Melinda doesn't eat paleo or really have that lifestyle either. She's been unbelievably supportive in terms of my path she just ne- doesn't necessarily take that same path that I've taken, which is a very countercultural one. Uh, you know, the world that you and I live in, Brooke, is not, it's becoming a lot more mainstream, but it's certainly not mainstream yet. Uh, and it makes a lot of folks uncomfortable to think the kinds of thoughts or to try the types of um, experiences or experiments that you and I do on an everyday basis that we take for granted. It's still pretty radical and out there to a lot of folks.
1: It is, and that's something I want to dig in in with into with you in a minute but just quickly going back to your comment about you and melinda having melinda having really different kind of views on lots of things i mean i agree with you that family harmony is so much more important than getting your way in terms of you know the amount of toys or the amount of clothes or whatever the the issue might be did you guys have to go through a process of um coming to that agreement where you just agree to do things your own way uh, particularly in terms of food and stuff or is that something that you know you've got a good strong marriage and it's just you understand to support each other that way because I know that's something that a lot of people really struggle with in their relationships when people have different ideas of what slow or simple or better or enough is
2: yeah we just I don't know that we ever came to a explicit agreement that I can do these things without rocking the boat and she will do these things and everything will be great. Uh, One, we've just, we've always been just great together and we communicate very openly about what we're thinking and and our dreams and our vision for our our lives as an individual, as a couple and as a family, or just how we want to contribute to society. I think the only really way that we formalized it, we actually did something really cool. Uh, We created a family mission statement late last year which got an idea from a great article on the Art of Simple, which is a wonderful place. And by crafting this 65-word family mission statement, we've really brought ourselves into alignment on, despite the tools that we use to get there, I might talk about minimalism, Melinda might talk about community service, but we both know where we would like to go as a family And by having this family mission statement, this set of guiding principles and what it is that we prioritize over everything else, that by itself has really uh, kept the... I use that word harmony again, but that's, that's really what it is, just that sense of we are all in this together despite the fact that we have different means. We all want the same kind of end result. We all want to give our kids really cool experiences and not a ton of stuff. Melinda's totally... Uh, alignment with that, we all value respect and humility, which is why she and I don't think that one way is the best way, or the better way, or the right way. We try not to judge people. We try to view each person uh, and understand, and you know, have empathy, get in their shoes. So, I would recommend for folks who are struggling, whether it's with friends or family, you can even do this kind of thing. Is I know it seems weird, like. <laughs> I'm going to have a, a friend mission statement, like with one of my close friends, we are going to mutually decide what we together like represent the world. But it's been a really powerful thing for me. And I could see myself doing it with folks outside my family.
1: Yeah. And I can, I can see that too. I mean, they, I mean, what's the, the saying that you are the, the average of your five closest friends. So, you know, if you can kind of create a framework around which those friendships, which are the most important to you under which they can thrive. I mean, that's going to only benefit everybody, isn't it? Um, Uh,
2: Yeah, absolutely. Can I ask you real quick in terms of what you use? Is there a certain go-to tool that you have that keeps you and Ben and the kids all in sync or just your your local community? Is there a certain framework that you found valuable?
1: Um, I mean, we're not dissimilar to you guys. Uh, I think a couple of years ago we wrote down uh, our family words, family motto kind of thing. Um, and that's always been a, a guiding principle for us. Uh, we're fortunate, I think, that Ben and I have really similar end goals. Same thing. I mean, he's he's he doesn't populate the, the minimalism simplicity world like we do, but he understands the the benefits of it. And I think it goes back to understanding your why. That's something that we've worked out a lot, and that's the way I talk about it. If you find your why, the reason that you're – You're doing it, the reason that you're simplifying, the reason that you're slowing down, the reason that, uh, you know, you want this different kind of life. If you figure out why it is you're doing it, it's so much easier to stay on that path. Because if you don't know why you're doing it, then you kind of jump from one thing to the other and you read a blog post and you think that sounds like a really good idea. I'll do that. But Then you read another blog post or, you know, listen to an interview and there's something that is sort of heading the opposite direction. That also sounds good. But when you know why you're doing it and for us, it's, you know, creating a life where we are free to travel a lot and, you know, do do things that we otherwise wouldn't be able to do while also having a really good foundation for our family. Um, you know, and that's that's the reason that we're able to kind of continue on in the same direction, even though the way we get there might be a little bit different.
2: I love how you say that and knowing the why. Like when you talk about the slower life, one of the things that I've become much more adept about both consciously and unconsciously, is just being a kind person. Mm. But you know what? It, it, sometimes it takes a lot of time to be kind as opposed to just dismissing somebody and be like, okay, got it. Like, I'm going to go do it. Uh, taking that, um, that mindset of, of being grateful for the recommendation, like seeing somebody's suggestion as a recommendation as opposed to you need to do this and you need to do it now. Just being present enough to slow down and be like, okay, I get it. Here's what I'm going to do and then keeping, keeping your head about you or, or engaging a little bit more in the conversation. Like, what, what do you mean by that? Let's explore this together in real time. So being able to be kind takes time and that's why I, I really value like the slowness of life is it allows me to be more kind. It allows me to be more generous, to ask people what do you need
1: mm. and
2: then figure out, well, how can I help you get that? as opposed to just constantly being racing from one thing to the next or from one commitment to the next. So those two things, you know, kindness and generosity, go hand in hand, at least for me personally, with a slower life, and I love, love that.
1: No, they do, absolutely. And I think that all comes down as well to being more present, which slowing down helps with uh, you know, immeasurably. You can just engage in the moment, whatever the moment is, whether it's having a conversation with someone, helping somebody, you know spending time with your family whatever it is you're just able to to really focus in on what you're doing i mean obviously not all the time because it's still life but uh you know the times where you can you're able to i think that's really valuable um going back to what you were talking about with simplicity and minimalism um becoming uh, it's not yet becoming a mainstream idea. I feel like in Australia it's just in its infancy and it's gaining a tiny little bit of traction, the idea of minimalism. Do you feel it's the same in the States or do you think it's, it's slowly shifting into a mainstream idea? Uh,
2: it, it depends. Like everything in life, it's based on your physical environment, the community you live in. So my experience based on where I live in the United States uh, informs my views of where I think we're going collectively as a world uh, is and it's hard to speak either at the city level the state level or at the country level so just just in those really broad sweeping strokes what I do see separate from the conversations that I initiate with the folks that I encounter and I'm always so quick not to to preach the benefits of the the simple life you know the slower life but also people are starting to ask me more whether they hear my podcast or whether they just observe the way that I am. Why do you do that? Like, Oh, I, I, I've never really considered planting a garden in my backyard. So you mean I can spend less money at the grocery store, make less trips to the grocery store, increase my self-sufficiency, and get some sunlight and some vitamin D all at the same time, And also, just have like this meditative experience of being in the backyard and, and literally tending the ground and tilling the soil and planting my own food. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. That sounds, that sounds kind of nice. Like maybe I should do that too. So I've noticed a lot of people taking a greater interest in um, some of these things that made us, Historically speaking, such simple creatures as humans, whether people are acting on that is another thing. And I think that's the big disconnect right now is there's a greater interest in the world of simple living. But I'm not sure that people are truly embracing it and acting upon it. So for me, it feels like we're kind of in this transitional phase where acceptance of it as a concept is growing and the awareness of the alternative ways of thinking and being and doing are growing. But people actually living it, I'm not sure that I'm really seeing big differences right now.
1: Yeah, I, I tend to agree. Um, I feel like simplicity and minimalism, they're having a bit of a moment uh, right now. You know, there's books being written at rapid pace and released and blogs and, uh, you know, everywhere I turn. Mainstream media are talking about decluttering and simplifying. But I also feel like they're doing those things um, it's sort of being co-opted into mainstream culture of marketing and advertising. And in a way, it's just trying to sell you a different version of life, which worries <laughs> me. Oh, <laughs> um, I've seen that. Sorry. I, I'm
2: agreeing with you. I've seen that lots of times. Any, anytime there's money to be made. Joshua Becker was actually joking about this, um, recently when I was chatting with him, he said, uh, basically marketers are trying to figure out what can we sell to minimalists that they that they will buy like they're not buying our normal stuff so how do we market to minimalists and having having people like creep into the the slow living industry there's not really a slow living industry but people are trying to create this marketplace around these alternative concepts and then create products and services to fill that gap because folks aren't buying the traditional things that they have so Yes. Yes, I get it.
1: Yeah, it's um, it's it's going to be really interesting. I think the next few years because there's undoubtedly a need for it. The number of people who ask me, "Oh, what do you do?" and I tell them that I write about simple living and slow living, and their shoulders kind of slump and they say, "Oh, I need that." The number of people who who will say that to me, so there's a, a desperate need for it because everybody's overwhelmed and they they're tired and they're stressed and they get no downtime. But it'll it will just be very interesting to see how that kind of plays out over the the coming months and years. I think. But you uh, you're doing a lot to promote the simplicity movement because you actually run an event called Simple Rev, um, which is it's an annual event. It'll be on in October this year in Minneapolis. But it's also a uh, more a grassroots movement that that is in play year round. Can you tell me a bit about Simple Rev?
2: Sure. Well, it's fortunately, it's not just me. Uh, I was the person, along with Dan Hayes, who has a great podcast called Simple Life Together. He and I kind of had this idea that uh, people who are simple living enthusiasts, we didn't really have a place to congregate, to gather in person. So we thought, well, let's have an event. We'll have a, a workshop-oriented event. We'll keep it small, uh, and we'll just see who shows up. And back in October 2014, we had 55 people from across North America coming to connect and to educate and, and teach each other about all these different simple living concepts which was amazing uh... but what we what we really have our vision is uh, living at the intersection of community building and simple living What we would like to do other than hosting events which is a ton of fun we want to bring that world we want to build connections human connections and community strengthen communities around the principles of simple living being intentional slowing down Experiencing deep and routine gratitude, finding your contentment on the inside as opposed to externally from your stuff or trying to get validation from your relationships. These are universal things that humans have always wanted and will always continue to want. We can find them, we can provide them through simple living. So being able to, what we're currently working on right now, besides our events, is creating um, resources, a field kit, if you will, for people to have these free, local, Simple Rev style gatherings in their neighborhood, in their community, where they can draw folks who are in alignment with them. They don't need to justify why they do the things they do or have those awkward conversations mm-hmm. for 30 minutes where people just walk away like, boy, that dude's a total weirdo. Uh, <laughs> being able to, <laughs> yeah, you know what I'm talking about, bro. Yeah, I, do, I know. <laughs> You've had those conversations. Uh, it's, it's really exciting. To, my goal Personally, separate from all the amazing people, Sarah Camp and Andrea Imsdahl are also a huge part of Simple Rev. They're part of our brain trust. We have so many amazing volunteers who help us with photography and videography and and distribution of content. It's just, it's so cool. and, And we really want people to just connect in their local community and start to transform what it looks like at the local level because that's where big changes will occur is all of these cool pockets that can expand slowly but uh, purposefully over time and increasing people's awareness of the the simple life and all of the cool things that we can have in the 21st century, you know, without regressing, without forsaking technology, how we can use modern living to really promote simple living. That's what Simple Rev is about.
1: And there's so much to be said for finding... Your tribe, you know, particularly locally, like you were saying before, we can we can connect with people online, and that's wonderful. But to be able to sit down and share a cup of tea or a coffee or a beer with somebody, and talk about, you know, the things that we have in common, it's so valuable. Uh, last year, I was able to go to the the local Simple Rev event here in Sydney, which was amazing. There was about uh, fifteen women, I guess, a couple of men there as well. Um, we just. We sat and we spoke about simple living. There was a few people who got up and, and spoke about gardening and ethical buying and, uh, you know, I spoke a bit about what slow living was. It was just so valuable to be able to share stories and to realise that you weren't the weirdo in the room who who was, you know, valuing time over stuff. It was, it was just so... It was a revelation, honestly. Um, I'm hoping very, very cautiously, but very optimistically, that I'll be able to join you for Simple Rev in October this year, though. So
2: That would be amazing. <laughs> it and would. Big, big, big shout out to Petta Wilson, who was the one who had you and all those other folks over to her house back in October of last year uh, outside of Sydney. That was so amazing, the way that she stepped up and the way that she brought those people together for four hours. I'm just, I'm in awe. She she, was wonderful. Basically, no, she was completely resourceful, uh, and it was just so cool to see people doing this on their own. See, that's the thing is, now we're starting to get to the point where you plant that seed, and uh, even even though you can push somebody into reading a book or something, a lot of folks are just they're hungry for it, Uh, and they're when they're doing things, it's not necessarily because they had a conversation with somebody. It's been growing inside for such a long time and they're really desperate um, to do things that bring them back to that simpler, slower life. Pet is one of them and it was just really cool to see what she did.
1: Yeah, it really was. It was so good to be part of it. I was very, very lucky to be part of it. Well, Joel, thank you so much for joining us today. I hope you've enjoyed our chat because I know I have. Oh, yeah. I've
2: been smiling ear to ear since we started, Rook
1: <laughs> It's good to hear. Um, So tell me, where can people find out a little bit more about you before we we let you go?
2: Well, if they want to find out about me, they can go to valueofsimple.com. That's kind of my personal hub online. That's where my Smart and Simple Matters podcast is and other stuff that they can get. Um, If they're interested in this whole Simple Rev dealio that we've been talking about, then Simple Rev, that's simplerev.com. They can find out uh, if there's an event near them. They can hopefully they're listening to this a little bit in the future, and we have a field kit ready for them so that if they want to basically host these free local gatherings in their community, we'll give them the resources, the education, the sense of community that they need to do that. So really, those two places: value of simple or simple ref.
1: Excellent. And you on uh, are you on social media? Do you do the Twitter or Facebook?
2: I do the Twitter a little bit and
1: Facebook, not
2: not so much. Uh, I'm at Joel Zislavski on Twitter. And I really, I know I'm one of the weird ones again, but I love Google+. Plus. So if, if anyone out there is on Google+, and you want to connect <laughs> with me, head on over there. I'd love to strike the conversation.
1: I'm sure there'll be one or two people who use Google+, Plus, Joel. Yeah, <laughs> hopefully. <laughs> well, thank you again for your time, and i um, will chat to you soon. in another episode of the slow home podcast if you enjoyed it be sure to subscribe via itunes and leave us a rating or a review thanks for listening